Wow. Hey, do you guys know how blessed you really are? We had a similar miracle to you guys in that um, uh, we had a season of our church where we didn't have a place to meet, and we were meeting on a Sunday night just like this. Every Sunday night, that was our main service because we couldn't find a place in our city uh, to rent on Sunday mornings because all the churches had them. We didn't even have a Seventh-day Adventist church that I could borrow on Sunday morning. And uh, and so, I mean, everything from the community centers to, you know, fields, there was nothing. I couldn't find anything. So we met in a, we met in a Methodist church that was so old, they thought it was new and nice, but really it was terrible. And, um, and they didn't even have a baptismal. I love the Methodists, but they ought to baptize people anyway, so that's another piece. And... Um, and man, we rented that place. Listen to this. We only used it on Sunday nights, and it cost us $5,000 a month just to use it once a week for three hours. And uh, we had to set up and tear down that whole thing. And then the Lord dropped a miracle into our life, and one of the local churches, real similar to your situation, uh, were, were not able to keep up their note and the bills and that kind of thing. And they had remodeled uh, this old Food Lion grocery store about 10 years earlier. And, uh, and they just basically walked away from it, and we were able to possess it. Come on, Jesus, like you're possessing your land. And, uh, and I was telling a uh, pastor, I said, you know, our note on that thing is $18,000 a month, and we're a 600-seat sanctuary. We're 38,000 square feet, and you guys are how much? Six, 62,000, so almost twice as much as we are. And when he leaned over and said, well, well, this is what, you know, the Lord's blessing us to pay, I was like, y'all better start repenting for stealing from the AG. I'm going to just tell you right now, God has blessed you. You don't have any idea. I was like, bro, I'm going to tell you right now, we would be lined up shooting people to try to get in a facility like this where I'm at. And so God has blessed you. I, I just want you to know it's a miracle beyond miracles. It does not happen that you can, uh, uh, you know, acquire and, and possess you know, a 1,000, 1,200-seat sanctuary with full media capabilities and lighting capabilities and chairs that actually feel nice. Come on, somebody. With a little lumbar support. Come on, everybody ought to like some lumbar support. Air-conditioned units work. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, bathroom, toilets flush. I replaced every stinking toilet in our place because they had all these issues with it, and you should have seen me fixing some toilet bowls. I'm the man. Handyman, tool time tailor right here. I was happening. And so y'all are blessed and highly favored. I just want you to know that in case you ever get to complaining. You need to say, listen, I repent. Uh, we are blessed beyond measure. Really, you so much are blessed. And, and God has been so good to you. And you just, I, I believe for such a time as this, seriously, I think Joplin and I, what's the name of the city right here that we're in? Yeah. And all the other ones, you know, like I'm going to try to say that. Lanilo, what would you call it? Yeah, Kalina, there you go. And all the surrounding ones, they need a life-giving church like you. And so don't stop, amen? Because the church is not this meeting. It's not this building. It's us. Jesus died for us. He didn't die for buildings and meetings. We are the church. I'm the church everywhere I go. I'm the church on the airplane today on the way over. I'm the church in front of my computer late at night when nobody's around. I'm still the church. Come on now. Did I tell you my story about being in Walmart with the lady at the church? If I didn't, you got to hear this one. So I'm in Walmart a couple of years ago, a few months ago, however long it was. You get older, you just start picking dimes, you know. And uh, this lady was standing in front of me on her cell phone, and she was blankety blank. And I told him his MF and blanker, blanker, blanker. And she went on for about 60 seconds, and that's all about all the curse words I can handle. And so all of a sudden, I just looked at her and said, Lady, Jesus is still on the throne. And she pulled her phone back, and she went, Oh, I know, I just want to praise him right now. Thank you, Jesus. So you know what her problem was? She was only the church when she was at a meeting on Sunday. She didn't understand we the church day in and day out. Come on now. When I'm driving on that boulevard and they cut it in on me, now I'm still the church. Help me, Jesus. And so it's with that today we're going to jump into the Word. We, we did two services uh, today at our service and, and hopped an airplane. Let me tell you the miracle that we were supposed to be on a 140 flight that ended up uh, somewhere in Arkansas. Where were I? What was it? Bentonville. And, uh, and I walked up to the gate. And uh, I, I was about 45 minutes early. I said, hey, I don't see the, the gate where I'm supposed to be, and it's not on the board, and my phone says it's here. And the guy goes, oh, no, we canceled that flight. I was like, you just canceled a flight because you just feel like it. you cancel a flight. He's like, yeah, we just didn't feel like doing it. I was like, well, I got to be I gotta be in Springfield. Where am I at? Galena. I got to be in Galena. 
by the end of this thing, you're going to be Springfield, you're going to be, you're going to be Joplin. Anyway, and I said, uh, I said, I got to be there, man. The word of God's got to come forth. And the guy was like, well, I'm sorry. We can get you in about 8 o'clock. I said, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Our, and, uh, and I called Pastor Josh. I was like, hey, we're standing here. They can get me in at some time, but I'm not sure. And, uh, and he goes, uh, he said, what else do they have? And I said, well, what else y'all got? And he said, well, there's a flight leaving right now for Springfield, right? That's where we went. I, and he said, uh, I, I said, I want Springfield. He goes, well, you got to run over there right now. I'll call her and tell her you're coming. And so I ran down there, and, man, we hopped that plane. I called Pastor Josh. I said, redirect, baby. I'm coming into Springfield. He said, that's closer. Thank you, Jesus. And so here we are. Amen. God is good. So he is so gracious and precious to us. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We thank you that you'll open the hearts, the minds, the hearers, Lord God, as well as the mouth of the one who's to deliver it. We recognize good and well, Lord God, that nobody on the planet walks around talking about how great an extension cord is. Lord, that's what I am. I'm plugged into you, plugged into them, and the power of God flowing through me to them to turn on every switch and every uh, uh, effort that they're supposed to be involved in, Lord God. No one sits around going, wow, that's such an amazing extension cord. Lord, we talk about your power. And so come in all of your beauty, in all of your glory. Lord, it won't offend me one bit if men and women in this room start having open visions and they never hear my message. Lord God, I just want them to hear you. I just want them to interact with you in a way that transforms our lives. And may we never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. So listen, we're not even going to go, after you guys worshiped all day today for like three hours, Pastor uh, Josh said, go ahead and preach for three hours. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. All the visitors are like, man, we knew we should have went to Catholic Church tonight. Doggone it. I do have a great word for you, and I want you to turn in your Bibles quickly to Matthew chapter 24. Go ahead and turn those Bibles on. I know some of you still use paper. God bless you. We love you. Please stop killing trees. But um, in Matthew chapter 24, <laughs> it's hard to highlight an iPad, isn't it? I'll tell you, that is just the most difficult thing. But when I go back in my paper Bible, I find scriptures that I obviously didn't like. You know what I'm talking about? Because I try to, I guess I was trying to underline them, but it was like I crossed through them. You know what I'm talking about? You, I guess because you're sitting on your lap and you're trying to underline those and you just kind of went through half the words. And I look at that all the time. I'm like, Lord, did I not want that scripture? Was I trying to change the holy word of God? Or was it just it was slipping as the pastor was preaching so good? We, Matthew chapter 24, we'll start in verse 9, but we're going we're gonna to kind of camp out and we're going to unpack verse 12. It says, and then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Now this is in red letter in, in your paper Bible. And that's because they, uh, they, well, because they didn't change the ink cartridge properly. It's because it's Jesus speaking. And he's actually prophesying about the last days. And that hour, they ask him, about what will it be like? How will we know the Son of Man is going to come back? When will we know the signs and the seasons? And Jesus said, verse 9, and then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, just a few carnal people who go to that other church will turn away from the faith. Is that what it says? It says, at that time, everybody say it. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and deceive a many group of people. And verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Let's, let's camp out here in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness. If you were born any time before 1970, will you just say Amen. All right, all right. Those of you that are a little older in the faith, those who've been around a little bit longer, those that you're, you had to count, right? Well, when was I born? I saw that. But those of us that are a little older, we would, we would have to admit that over the last 20 years there has been an increase in wickedness. Would you admit that? Say yes. I, I can remember when the World Wide Web came online and uh, what was our vice president's name that created it? Anyway, and I can remember when that moment came about and all of a sudden all of this information, all of the videos were accessible. I remember when the, uh, when the first iPad came out and I remember when the iPhone came out and all the digital devices that were right here in your hand. I'll never forget flipping through the channels and found, the, uh, uh, found an interview with the head, uh, the head of the International Porn Association. Didn't know that there was an International Porn Association, and he was doing an interview with CNN, and they were talking about, you know, all the, the fact that these handheld devices would help their industry, and the man was sitting there with a nice suit on, some kind of 
you know, sleazy looking dude, he begins to say, we're so excited about this new technology because our industry, you know, has been kind of plagued with the fact that people that are, uh, are, and, are participate in our, in our stuff, our porn, you know, they're a little uncomfortable to go to the porn shops and buy it. And now what will happen is we can put it right in their hands and they can look at all the porn they want to and they can have all their, all, all their you know, interaction in a private way and they don't have to go anywhere. They can buy it right there. And we're especially excited because we can reach now a younger generation. Do you know the average age to see porn for the first time is seven years old? Average age to see it for the first time. I would say that that was an increase in wickedness. Would you agree? Say yes. I can remember being a little boy who wasn't a Christian, a little teenage kid, you know, out there, praying that I might find a little dirty magazine out in the woods. Come on, somebody. And now every child, if we're not careful, at the tip of their fingertips can see the most vile acts of humanity ever known to man. There's been an increase in wickedness. Jesus said that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of just a few, a love of a couple, the love of it actually says most. Look back up there. The love of most will grow cold. Love of most. Now, this beautiful lady, you sang so well today, by the way. I just want to say that. If You look intelligent. If I said, uh, where am I at? Springfield, Joplin? Yeah. So here in Bellina, yeah. And so here in Sabrina, if I said that the majority of the people in this church, or if I said that most of the people in this church um, they love tacos. If I use the word most of the people in this church love tacos, what percentage would you think that to be? It wouldn't be 50%, would it? Because if I was going to say 50 or half, I would use the word half, wouldn't I? If I was going to use like a lower percentage, I would probably use some. Some of the people love tacos. But if I use the word most, and most of the people in this room love tacos, what percentage would you guess I was trying to talk about? 90%. So according to this lady, 90% of you guys are going to lose your love for God and not go to heaven. God bless you. No, but seriously, he uses the word most. He could have used any term he wanted to, but he uses the word most. He's prophesying about the last days. Now, I believe the birth pains have already started. No man knows the hour. Not even the Son of God Himself. No man, only the Father. And so all these guys who are prophesying it's next year, go ahead and buy all their stock and see how quickly you lose out. They don't know what they're talking about because God Himself said, Jesus Himself said, no man knows the hour. But He said we could tell by the birth pains. He literally began to lay out the birth pains. Now my wife has been pregnant uh, six times. We gave birth to uh, three healthy babies and three babies died and we put them in the ground and they're waiting for us in heaven. But in that process of her going through the birth pains. And I'll never forget with our first child, she goes, oh! I said, what is it? She said, it started. And I said, yes! Because I get to do 110 miles an hour down the interstate and nobody can stop me. Because it's legal, right? I remember the old movies. I can do that. And so, man, I got that Suburban up to about 120 miles an hour. I came running in. I said, my wife is having a baby. And the lady said, what wife? I said, oh, I forgot her in the car. I went back and got her. And 22 hours later, we had a baby boy. He was magnificent and beautiful. But there were 22 hours of, ah, I'm going to kill you. That was the process. Birth pains. Now, I don't know how long we have, but I believe the birth pains have started. And Jesus literally said that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I don't want to be a part of the most. I want to be a part of the few. I want my love to be passionate and hot till the day he returns. I want to be real and sincere and genuine in my love. So I brought a word to you today. Don't let your love grow cold. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't let it happen. Don't let your love grow cold. According to Jesus, the love of most. Now, who's he talking to here? Is he talking to non-Christians? No, because non-Christians' love can't grow cold because they never had love to begin with. He's talking to us, the church. He says, listen, there'll be an increase of wickedness. And because of that, the love of the most will grow cold. And I've got a warning for you tonight, church. I love you with all of my heart. But I have watched love grow cold in many an individual. I've had love grow cold in my life, and I'm here to tell you today, let us not let our love grow cold. Are you with me? Say yes. And so the only way I can connect this relationship with the living God 
and how that love, so how can that happen? How does love grow cold? The only way I know how to connect the most important relationship in my life is to connect it to the second relationship in my life, and that is Jamie McCain, the love of my life, my marriage. It's magnificent. We've been married 23 years. She's phenomenal. How many of you guys are married in the room? Let me see a show of hands. All the married folks, come on now. All the single folks, lift your hand, come on. All the single folks that want to be married, keep your hands up. Look, we can get this done by this evening. Let's see, we'll put you... And you, look, we can knock this out, man. We can make this thing happen. How many of you guys remember when you were first dating? Anybody remember your first dating moments? Oh, do you remember how fun that was? Oh, it was so awesome. Oh, we would sit around. Jamie and I would sit around on the phone late at night. What you doing? None, what you doing? None, what you doing? Oh, I'm just sitting here. What you doing now? None, what you doing? Not, for an hour. None, what you doing? Just sitting here. I just, I just thinking about you. Oh, I love you so much. Ooh, I love you too. Just for hours. Think about nothing. Nothing. Just talk about nothing. Now when she calls, I'm like, what do you want? Let's get this thing going. We got stuff to do. Come on, when you're first, any, any newlyweds, you've been married less than two years in the room, you're still a newlywed. Anybody like that in the room? Wow, God bless you guys. Amen. How about, how about if you've been married... More than five years in the room. Would you lift your hand? Let me see. Five years. Five years or more. Wow. Keep your hands up. More than seven years. Keep it up in the room. Seven years. Ten years. More than ten years. Keep your hands up. Wow. Ten, more than 15 years. Keep your hands up. Fifteen years. Twenty years. Give me twenty. Hey, now. Twenty, twenty. Give me twenty-five. How many have been married more than twenty-five years? Still in the running. Twenty-five. Give me twenty-seven. Still in the game. Oh, we're losing them like flies. All right. Twenty-five. Twenty-seven. Thirty. How many have been married more than thirty years? You're out. Smartest lady on the front row. Hey now, 30 years, 30 years, 32 years. Keep your hands up. If more than 32 years, 35 years, 35, 35, 40 years. You've been married more than 40 years. Good God, you've been married forever. 45 years in the house, 45. We still got 45 plus, 45 plus. Oh, this between these two. 46 years still in the house. 47 years still in the house. 48 years still in the house. 49 years still in the house. Lost them at 49. How many years you guys been married right here? 50, they got you by like five, six years, bro. 53 years. Come on, let's give them a hand. 53 years. God bless you guys. Tell me Now, Mom, I want to ask you a question. In 53 years, have you ever thought about divorce? She said yes. If not divorce, what about murder? How many times have you thought about that? No, she said no. Oh, that's awesome. 53 years, you said, right? 53 years. Now, look, I want every young couple in this room, I want you to do something. You see that? Raise your hand again right over here, 47, 46 years. Raise your hand. See these two couples? Every young couple in this place, you need to take these guys out to dinner, pay for it, and look across the table at them and say, how did you do it? And let whatever they say, you go do what they said. I love what she said. After 53 years, have you ever thought about divorce? Well, Yeah. Have you ever thought about murder? She's trying to be sweet, but that's not true. That's not true one bit. There's been times he's been snoring right there next to her, and she thought, I could, I could shut that up. I could fix that once and for all. Guarantee you. After that many years, let me explain something to you. That is not an emotional experience. That's a decision that they made to stay married. And that's what's missing in the marriages of today. If we don't like it, we'll trade it in for something else. Because we, we, we buy it like we buy our cars and like we buy our food. It's nothing more than disposable. We don't even, our kids don't even know how to eat with utensils anymore because we never sit down at a real meal. We unwrap it and eat it with the paper and then throw the paper away. And literally that junk passes right through us as if it was paper. And what we've got is an entire generation that doesn't know how to sustain love. And it's the same problem that we have with our Savior. I don't care how long you've been in the church. If we're not careful, this scripture will be true in our lives, that the love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. And the only way I know how to connect that is to our marriages. I have been in ministry now since, oh wow, since I was 19. So that's 26 years full-time ministry. That's all I've done with my life is obey the Lord and walk in there. And walk in that, in that place of ministering to others. And I can tell you there have been times 
where I was so passionate for the Lord. I remember when I first got saved, man, I love the Lord so much. Uh, we would go to church. Come on, some of you remember. And boy, we had our tambourines, and we would sit at the front row, and we'd shake those tambourines, and then all of a sudden, tambourines started messing with the television broadcast, so we couldn't do our tambourines anymore. And then all of a sudden, waving my hands kind of became kind of old. And now, if I'm not careful, now I stand around and say, man, I don't even know if I really like this song. Is this song theologically correct? What happened from the young man who was so excited and so so energetic and couldn't wait to be in the house of the Lord? I remember when we first got saved. Man, this was years ago. When we first got saved, you know, the only translations you had was, was King James and Living. And you had to have those in a parallel Bible because King James, you had no idea what it was talking about. Living wasn't doctrinally correct, but between the two, you could figure it out. And I can remember just couldn't wait to read the Word. Couldn't wait to get to church early. And now I'm like, oh, God, i got to go preach to people. If you're not careful... The very passion and excitement, the loving relationship will grow cold. Look how the Lord, he puts it in perspective. It grows cold. It never intended to be cold. It just happened a little bit at a time. And a little bit at a time. Before you know it, there's no passion there. There's no real love there. There's nothing more than duty. I want to give you the three reasons I believe love Rose Cole, would you write these down? They'll help you. They'll save us. They'll keep us strong. Again, I don't want to be a part of the most. I want to be a part of the few. Do you believe that? Say yes. And here's the first thing that I have learned that causes love to grow cold. Number one is when we have sin in our life. Sin is nothing more than other lovers. That's all sin really is. Do you know I can, be in as, I can be in as much sin as you are, and, and you say, well, Pastor, you don't, you're not doing what I'm doing. Maybe not, but the fact that I love this thing more than I love Jesus is a sin. It's another lover. It's a, it's a sin of my life. I used to love the ministry more than I love Jesus. I used to love the accolades of men. I didn't know it. It didn't start that way. But so many people told me, man, you're the best preacher on the planet. You need to get you on television. They got me on television, and man, they were writing, and you need to be on radio. I had my own radio broadcast. You need to write books, and I'm writing all these manuals and stuff, and people are flying in from around the world to, have, to be in our services, and they're flying me all over the world. And I looked up one day, and I loved the ministry more than I loved the minister. I no longer cared about Jesus in that way. He was nothing more than a means to an end. If you're not careful... You'll have other lovers that literally take the place of the passionate love we're supposed to have for Jesus. I don't know how it works and where am I at, Seguin? I don't know how it works in Kalina, but let me tell you how it works in Dallas, Texas. Now let's imagine, if you will, that tonight after the service, some of the little young 20-something gals come up to me. Pastor Riley, you're just so amazing. I just really feel a connection with you. And I say, oh my goodness, that's awesome. I really feel a connection with you. What if... What if we got married and I could have two or three wives like the Bible talks about with the Old Testament? And, what, and, and, and wouldn't that be awesome? And a couple girls standing around, that would be awesome. Let's do it. And you can come home and live with me and my wife in Dallas. You can be wife number two, wife number three. Now, I don't know how it works in this city, but let me tell you what will happen in Dallas. I'll call over to my wife and get her voicemail. Leave your name and number at the sound of the beep. Hey, baby, you're not going to believe this. It's awesome. You're not going to believe this. I met two young ladies. Oh, man, it was awesome, and we've fallen in love, and, and you're not going to believe this. They'll be wife number two and wife number three, and you won't have to cook as much. If you have a headache, don't worry about it. I mean, it's going to be an amazing pr uh, plan. It's just going to be so wonderful, and it's okay because you're going be, to be my first wife, but it's okay to have the other two wives. I don't know how it works in your city, but let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to pull up in the driveway there in Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to get out of the car with the bags of these pretty little girls, and the front door is going to crack open, and a double-barrel shotgun that she's been holding on to for the last 30 years is going to stick and boom, boom, boom and as I lay there bleeding on the ground I'm going to be, I don't understand the problem and she's going to stand over me and say because you said till death do us part that you would have no other women in your life no other loves but me and yet somehow we expect the living God who's a jealous God to allow us to love our children more than we love him. To allow the soccer games to mean more to us than literally his services that give him glory. To, under, to love our houses and our jobs and our sporting. Listen, I can tell what you love the moment we hit on it. It's amazing to see what you love. It, it's unbelievable. I was talking to a guy one time after a service, and he came up to me. He said, you from Dallas, Texas? I said, yeah, I am. He said, uh-huh. 
I said, man, do you love Jesus? He goes, man, I love the Lord. I do. He said, now, wait a minute. Now, you're from Dallas, right? I said, how about them cowboys? Huh? <laughs> that Tony Romo's an idiot, baby. Our guys are going to kill you guys. It's amazing. When we're talking about the Lord, it's the Lord. But when we're talking about the thing he loves, his voice goes up a few octaves. His facial expressions change. The excitement of his heart begins beating fast. I can tell you what you love just by the moment I hit it because you get excited about it. I'm so frustrated with people. I, I, I'll meet these fellas sometimes. And I, yeah, my old lady, my old lady, this. I want to punch him in the face. Your old lady, I'll show you an old lady. That's, that's the wife of your youth, dude. You're so ugly. Do you believe that that woman is staying with you, dude? You're an idiot. There's nobody else out there that will take you. That's not an old lady. She's magnificent. Not only that, but she's got the mercy of God in her life to love on your old knothead self. The Bible's clear about it. He'll have no other gods before him. And I've seen us love things that meant more to us than Jesus. I've done it. You've done it. And that is the starting spot for love to begin to grow cold. It's when we have other lovers in our life. I love you with all of my heart, but I'm a good enough minister to help warn you that he prophesied to us that the love of most, and this beautiful sweet lady up here on the front row said, if you said most to me, I'm thinking 90%. I'm probably thinking at the very minimum 70%. 70% of the believers of our generation, they will fall away from the Lord and literally their love will grow cold all because of all of the distractions and all the other lovers. And friend, I don't know about you, but not me, baby. I'm going to be a part of the few. My love's going to be hot. It's going to be sincere. It's going to be genuine. And I don't care what I got to do if I got to cut out everything and that that's all that is left is me and Jesus. It's good enough for me because my love will be real and genuine and sincere. Are you with me? Say yes. Amen. The old farmer and his wife are driving down the road. They've been married 47 years. They drive the old truck down that old gravel road towards their farm. Just come from town. She's sitting all the way against the door. She looks over at him. She says, I remember a time. I remember a time where you would hold me, drive with one hand and hold me close right beside you. And now look how far we are. Look at the distance in between us now. Look at it. The wise old farmer didn't say anything. He just kept driving. Five minutes passed, ten minutes passed. And finally he just, out of his mouth came the words, who moved? I want you to know something. Some of you are trying to, re -get, you're trying to get the 80s back. God didn't move, you moved. We don't need the 80s back. We need what God's doing right now in our life from glory to glory to glory. Now listen, I love when Jamie and I were first married, but I love now too. It was beautiful in those days, but it's even more beautiful now because you know what? Like a fine old wine, we have aged together. I don't drink wine, don't drink alcohol. I'm a man of God. One day we were sitting in church and this couple in front of us, they had been married like 150 years, I don't know. And, uh, and we were sitting next to each other, and, and he's, he was a wealthy businessman, and she had, you know, from Texas, so she had the bouffant hair and, and about 25 diamond rings on, and she worshiping the Lord. And every Sunday, he'd start worshiping next to her, and all of a sudden, he'd, he'd reach around her waist, you know, and pull her close, you know, and she'd giggle, and they would worship together. It was awesome. And we'd stand behind them looking down, and look at that right there. Look at that love. Come on, baby. They're so old. That's awesome. And one day in the middle of service, I turned to Jamie and said, baby, that's us right there. We're going to grow old and ugly together, and we're going to love each other for the rest of our lives. And she looked at me. She said, you first. <laughs> Listen to me. Don't you let other lovers take you away from the Lord. Don't you love those grandkids more than you love Jesus Christ? Don't you get more excited about that football game than you get excited about Jesus Christ? Don't you dare and, and, and blame it on the fact that you've been around for a long time. Listen, if you've been around for a long time, then it should go from glory to glory to glory to glory. I was preaching this service, and this old fellow walked up to me. He said, son, come here, son, 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 come here. He said, you're pretty excited, aren't you? I watch you jumping all around, spitting everywhere. Uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said, yes, sir, I love Jesus with all of my heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Son, how long do you think I've been a Christian? How long do you think I've been saved? 
I said, I don't know since dirt. I mean, I have no idea. He said, son, I've been saved 60, 63 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 63 years, you think I know something? I said, yes, sir, I bet you know a lot. He said, uh-huh. He said, let me just help you. Can I help you? All that jumping around and yelling and spitting and throwing your hands everywhere, can I just help you? He said, let me tell you what's going to happen. One day you're going to mature. You're going to mature, and you won't have to do all that. You won't have to jump around and get excited and yell. You won't have to do it. You'll be like me. And I looked at him. God is my witness, no lie. There's a thousand people at this church. I looked at him, and I looked up. I said, oh, God, if this is what I had to look forward to, kill me right now. Let me not right and strike me dead. Let's go to heaven now. Are you kidding me? This is the this is maturity. But see, the problem was he's too late. No, sir. Because remember that couple I talked about? They'd sit there, 80, 90 years old. They'd worship God. They couldn't jump up and down anymore. You know, they didn't want to blow out a hip. They'd sit there and they'd worship the Lord. And we'd get to dancing and they would do their little dance. And they would praise the Lord, and they were the first one to say, Hallelujah, you're good, Jesus. And he pulled me aside, son, let me tell you what I was reading today. Come here, Adam, let me tell you. Let me tell you what the Word of God says in Proverbs. He started laying it out, and I'm enthralled. I said, tell me again, what else? And it was about like that time. We was casting demons. Did I ever tell you about that time? No, sir. Well, we was casting demons out of this little gal. She was throwing everybody around, and I stood there, and I said, in the name of Jesus. Have you ever done that? Yes, sir, but tell me how you did. Well, then I body slammed her, and then I, and I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. See, this other old, sorry, I was going to say fart, but I wouldn't say that here. He was too late. His bitter old heart, his old growed, stale, and cold life, he was too late. He couldn't convince me that the end of it needed to be stale and cold. You know why? Because I watched hot, burning fire, cold, sit right there. No, they couldn't jump like they used to. And yes, they liked the piano more than the drums. But the bottom line was they were in love with Jesus Christ, and they loved him more than anything else in this world. Don't you let other lovers steal your love away. He's a jealous God. He wants all of your heart. I don't care how old or young or whatever you are, how much education you have, how many years you were in the ministry. It doesn't matter. Lick to me because the bottom line is the love of most will grow cold. Not me. Not me. Not if you stand around me. Not if you get close to me and Pastor Josh and people like us. It's not going to happen because I want to be a part of the few. Here's the second reason. Write this down. That love grows cold. Number two. Because there's no interaction. You stop spending time together. There's no interaction. Any of you remember graduating high school? You remember your senior year? Go back and look at your yearbook. Go look and see what you wrote. We're going to be best friends forever. We're going to get married and live in the same neighborhood right next to each other and raise our kids together. We're just going to be awesome. Now you see him in the mall, you're like, come here, baby. I used to go to school with him. Let's go this way right here. Let's go to school with him. Why? Because they made you mad? No. Because when you were in high school, you were spending eight hours a day, five days a week with those people. You were close. You could finish their sentences. School puts you in a place where you were always with that group of people. Now you've gotten older. You've had kids. You've got jobs. You don't see them anymore. You never intended for those relationships to be split or broken. You just got to spend so much time somewhere else that you lost that relationship. That's exactly what happens with the Lord. We get so busy doing for God that we lose a relationship with God. I love you, and I know Pastor Josh and I are believing God for you to get engaged in this church and and have your ministry moving. But listen, at the end of the day, if you're ministering for him and you no longer know him, you've missed the whole point. If you lose the love relationship, and so you're ministering, but you don't have the love of Christ flowing through you because you're not connected relationally with him anymore. And you have these moments where you remember how it was back in the day, and back in the day, and you're always talking about back in the day. My God, back in the day is over. What are you experiencing now with the Lord? I looked up. I was running a Bible school a few years ago. The largest charismatic, non-accredited Bible schools in the country, but really in the world. Raising up leaders, sending them out. After eight years, I realized I'm telling the same stories. 
from 15 years ago as my illustration. I'm so busy doing things for God that I don't even know if I know him anymore. Traveling the world, preaching good sermons, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. But I, I, I hadn't won a lost person to the Lord in 10 years. I was at a Bible school all day long, and then I get on an airplane, and I go preach all weekend long, and I come back and go to the Bible school all day long. I'm around Christians, Christians, Christians. Not one of my neighbors ever got saved. I'm happy to report. The Lord asked me to give that up. I said, yes, God, I'll do it. Went into pastoring. Didn't want to do that, but I did it. And I'm happy to report my next-door neighbor got saved last week. I water baptized, excuse me, three weeks ago, I water baptized him last week. He's serving God with all of his heart. His wife has now gotten saved. His kids have all gotten saved. You know why? Because the love of Christ should abound in our heart to the place that it spills out to those that live next to us and work with us. And check us out at Walmart and, and wait on us at the restaurants. But we've lost interaction with them. When I first got hired at Bethany World Prayer Center, again, like I told you, I was 19 years old. And our pastor was on television. And, and so as I came on staff, uh, we had had an open-door policy that you could walk in off the street and, uh, and our pastor would counsel you. We had what we called a counseling office. It was our administrative offices. But you, it, out front it said counseling center. And you could pull up, just pull up. Even if you didn't go to our church, come in and say, I'd like to talk with the pastor. And our pastor would meet with you and pray with you and counsel you and so forth. Well, as the church grew so big, he no longer could physically do that. And so there was five of us pastors that were on staff, and I was the newest hire. I was the junior high pastor slash assistant youth pastor, and I was 19 years old. And so pastor came up with this great idea. Each of us are going to share a day of counseling. And so each pastor took a day, and it was their day. They were the pastor on duty. And my day ended up being Tuesday. I was so excited. I'm fresh out of Bible school. I'm so excited. I'm going to be the pastor for counseling for the day. Now, I'm, in, I'm 45 years old, and everybody thinks I'm, I'm, I'm 28. Imagine what I look like at 19. I look like Opie. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, I was, I was about 120 pounds at that time. Uh, listen, I was a little bitty scrawny thing, and I looked like, I'm telling you, I looked like your junior high kid. It was unbelievable. And so I'm the pastor for the day. I'll never forget the first day, I got in there early, boy. I got into the big counseling room because my desk wasn't like this. I had a cubicle and a closet by the bathroom, and I had a big desk. And, man, I got in there early, and I prayed. I sought the Lord. Fuego del Espíritu Santo. Fire of God be in this place. And I'm praying over the place. God, every soul that walks in the door, that you would transform. I'm praying, boy. And then that lasted for, you know, you can only pray like that for about 10 minutes, and you can't stand up anymore. And so then I sat down. And I'm so ADDD, HDDD, I don't know what I want to do now. So I pulled out the strong concordance. I put it on the desk and I started flipping through pages and find some scriptures. And I had the big holy Bible that was in the counseling office. It was awesome. It was that big, big family Bible with all the naked pictures of Adam and Eve in the front. It was awesome. Had that big thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm just trying to get ready. And all of a sudden the, the phone rings and it's a little reception. She says, Pastor Adam, there's a couple here today that wants to see a pastor. I said, I'll be right out. And I go bouncing out. And I come walking up, and there's this middle-aged couple, very well-to-do. She's probably got, you know, $10,000 worth of rings on her finger. She's probably wearing an outfit that's about a $1,500 outfit. He's standing there as a wealthy businessman. And, uh, and, and, we're, and, and I come walking up, and I said, hi, guys, can I help you? And they said, uh, yeah, we're looking for the pastor. I said, well, I got good news for you. Um, I'm the pastor on duty today, and uh, I would love to meet with you. Is there something I can meet with you about? And you can see it come over her. She's like, OMG. You can tell she's like, I finally got him to go to counseling, and I got Opie as our counselor. And she looks at him, and he looks at her like, I told you this was a bad idea. And so in desperation, she's like, well, we're here now. Let's see what Opie can do. And I'm like, come on back. Let's go. Bring him back, you know. And I sit him down. And I sit across the desk from him and sit him in the two big chairs across the desk. And I said, so, tell me what seems to be the problem. And this well-to-do little white lady looks at him. He, meanwhile, is just, I mean, just clueless. And she keeps going. She said, the pastor wants to know what's the problem. 
And this dignified lady goes, oh, shenanay on us. The pastor, did you hear the pastor? The pastor wants to know, what's the problem? Are you deaf or something? Pastor, say it again. Uh, what seems to be the problem? Did, did you hear it? He wants to know, what's the problem? Won't you tell me what the problem is? And this guy's just sitting there. He's like, um, uh, um. Oh, he should have kept his mouth shut. Because after doing that for about five of the longest minutes of my existence, and I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It turned to peanut butter jelly. I mean, I'm making up tongues. I mean, I'm just coming up with stuff. And uh, after a couple minutes, he goes, bro, to be honest, I have no idea what the problem is. Oh, she jumps to her feet, and she stands looking down at him. She said, that's the problem right there. You don't even know what the problem is. Tell the pastor. Tell the pastor how you won't even go to church with us no more. Tell him. Tell him the pastor right there. Tell the pastor how we don't even make love anymore. We ain't done that in a couple years. I'm like, oh, Jesus. I'm looking, make love. Don't make love anymore. I can't find it in the concordance. I don't know what to do. And tell the pastor. Tell the pastor how you don't even come home from work. Instead, what you do is you go out drinking with your friends at the bar. You won't even come home and be with your kids or with me. And when we go to church, you won't even go to church. Instead, you go to the deer camp or you go play to go. Tell the pastor how you quote her a Christian. You ain't no Christian. You ain't even tithing to you. Tell the pastor. And she's going off like that. And I'm like, oh my God. And she goes off just like that for about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, he steps up. He said, yeah. He looks at me. Would you want to go home to that? I'm like, dude, don't put me in this. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to go home. Would you want to go home to that? He said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah, I, I, you know how I go out drinking? Because he drives me insane. And let, what, wait, let me just say something for just a second. You, you, you see that diamond ring? Who pays for that? I pay for that. I worked two jobs because you had to have a nice diamond ring. And show him the keys to the Mercedes. Who pays for that? I pay for that. I worked two jobs. And oh, your kids can't go to normal school. No, they got to go to private school. Who pays for that? I pay for that. In the big house, I worked those jobs to pay for that, to give you everything you've ever wanted. I'll never forget. She's standing there. She takes the ring, and she throws it on the ground. She said, the keys, and she throws it I never wanted all of that. All I ever wanted was you, and I don't have you anymore. I loved you when we didn't have nothing. We had a little beat-up apartment. And now we don't have nothing because I've lost you. And he stops, and she's bawling. And I'm looking at him like, she just wants you, man. She just wants you. And he starts, he starts wavering, and he falls down on his knees. He says, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. I love you. And she falls down. They start holding each other, and they're repenting. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. And I'm standing there. And they get up, and they look at me, and they say, thank you. You changed our lives. And I said to them, hallelujah, God bless you. You can support my ministry at adammccain.org. I'm taking donations. In that moment, they both realized that they'd gotten so busy taking care of kids and so busy working jobs, and so busy keeping up with the Joneses and having Mercedes and having big houses, that they didn't have each other anymore. And I'm fearful for each and every one of us that we've gotten so busy doing for God that we don't know him anymore. You used to weep, and it wasn't manufactured. It was sincere because you were close. You just couldn't wait to tell people about the love of your life because it was sincere and real. And now... You're so busy taking kids to soccer practice and so busy going to services and checking up on everybody on Facebook and social media. But you're not close anymore. And friend, I warn you, if you're not careful, you'll look up and you won't have a love. In fact, it will be a love that has now grown cold incrementally, a little bit at a time, until one, one day you look up and you say, I don't, I don't even know him. And he sure in heck doesn't know me. And I tell you, that's a broken spot. And Jesus prophesied that the love of most, not might, not could be, it will grow cold. 
love of Moses, I'm here to warn you, don't let your love grow cold. Whatever you have to do, don't you let your love grow cold. And there's a third reason that I see in Scripture that love grows cold. And I would call it offense or offense. Give you a beautiful scripture. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 51 and 52. Mark chapter 6, verse 51, 52. It'll be on the screens. Again, for you guys that are dyslexic, that would be 156 cram. Been to church your whole life, never could find the passages, and finally a pastor who understands them. Mark chapter 6, verse 51. Look what it says. It says, the wind died down. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were, everybody say it with me, hardened. Their hearts were, say it with me, hardened. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus, this is the passage where Hurricane Katrina hits while they're out on their boat going across the lake. But if you back up in the early part of that chapter 6, Jesus takes his disciples and he sends them out to go ministering door by door. They're so excited. I picture, you know, that they're going, knocking on doors. You know, Peter comes to the first door. That opens it. Hi, my name's Peter. I represent Jesus Christ. Brother, I'm just here to pray for you. Is there anything that I can do for you? And the guy's sitting there with a nub. Uh, well, I don't have an arm. And Peter says, brother, hallelujah, reach out that nub and let me touch it. And so Peter begins to, I mean, that little nub guy puts it out there, and Peter begins to call it forth. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you, grow. And also, <laughs> the thing grows. Hallelujah, revival. Boom, 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 boom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they just go crazy, man. Revival's happening. You know, all of a sudden, you know, John gets out there, and before you know, he's got all these people, and they're all gathered around, and John's the love preacher, and he stands out there, and he says, we're so glad you're here today. It's like Daddy always said, you don't have to die with the devil, but you can live your best life right now. And, and we just want to welcome you and have you come out here and, and just thank the Lord so much that you're here. And we're just so grateful for you. And, and the Lord's coming and people are getting saved. And it's amazing. It's glorious. And then, you know, next thing you know, oh, Andrew's over there. And he's got himself a little healing revival going, hallelujah, brother. Who, who healed you, brother? Who, who, who healed you, brother? He said, Jesus, heal me. That's right. In the name of Jesus. Reach out your hand in the name of Jesus. Pick him back up. Pick him back up. Hallelujah. Pick him back up. Pick him back up. Bring it back here to me. Bring him to him in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. There it is all across the place, brothers and sisters. And they're having these revival meetings and things are happening. And after a few days of this, they get exhausted. Go back and check Mark chapter 6. They get exhausted and they come back and they've got a meeting time with Jesus and he's sitting in Starbucks drinking a mocha mocha and they all come piling in and they're so excited. You're not going to believe it. it was amazing. And this one did this and I laid hands on this guy and he had a little fuse. all believable. And John and, and John saying, and, and, and then Jesus, we were just touching them all and, and it was so beautiful and glorious. And, and Andrew's talking about, and then I told them, I said, come forward in the name of Jesus. And it's a powerful Lord. And all of them give their testimonies and Jesus looks at them and says, Let's go on vacation. Come on, let's go. Go back and check it. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's what's happening. And so I said, yeah, we're exhausted. So they start walking down to get in the boat, and all of a sudden the crowds come. There he is, it's Jesus! Jesus! Jesus, I have a question. Listen, I was talking to Andrew, and he was talking about the power of God, but I don't really understand it. Can you like lay hands on me? And can you imagine, these guys have just ministered to all these people. These 12 disciples have laid hands on them, they've counseled them, and now they want to talk to Jesus. And I'm sure they're standing like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know he's going to talk to them. I know he's going he's to lay hands on every one of them suckers. We're going to be here all day long. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. Man, I'm starving. This fashion and praying for people sucks, man. I know, bro, it's so tiring. This is so rough, man. Everybody wants to help you. Help me, Pastor, help me. I know. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, let's sit them all down. Let's feed them. There's 5,000 of them. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. And Jesus says to them, hey, what do we got to feed them? And I'm sure they look, man, what you got? We ain't got no Jesus, we ain't got nothing. We're supposed to be going on vacation right now, and you're going to pause? This is going to take forever. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my Jesus. And they're like, ah. and Jesus says, go find what you can. So they come, what'd you find? Man, I found these five loaves. I found some two fishes. <laughs> well, he can't feed all these people with that. Exactly. 
I guess he missed it this time. Jesus, we did what you said. We looked high and we looked low. We went far and we went near. And all we could find are these little fish and these high barley loaves. So I guess you need to send all these people home so we can get back to vacation like we planned we was going to do. And Jesus, give it to them. Father, I bless it in Jesus' name, or in my name. Go hand it to them. What'd he say? What'd he say? He said, go give them the food. That ain't going to take long. Here, bro. fed and there's 12 baskets full and Jesus is preaching and loving on them and they're like and if you go back and read this he goes listen Adam McCain version listen stupid heads obviously you don't love the people so won't you go ahead and get in the boat and you go to the vacation spot and I'll meet you and I'll keep loving the people and they get in the boat, and they start rowing across. They got their sails up. The wind's blowing. The Bible says all of a sudden, hurricane gust winds come up on this lake. And it begins to swamp the boat. And they're trying to stay alive. It's gotten dark at this point. Lightning's in the background. And all of a sudden, Jesus, this is hours later, comes walking to them on the water. It says they were terrified they thought it was a ghost. And as Jesus got closer and closer and closer, the moment he stepped into the boat, everything stopped. And it says, picking up verse 51, they were amazed. Like, you know why? Because in that moment they realized he's not our buddy, he's the king of glory. It says, because they did not understand about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. Can I tell you something? I believe this is going to be the number one reason why church people walk away from the Lord, because their hearts get offended. They get offended at the church. They get offended with each other. They get offended with Jesus. You said, if I prayed that my grandmother would not die of cancer, and she did. What kind of God are you? I've been faithful to this church. And now when I'm in the hospital, nobody comes and visits me. I'm out. Offense. See, can I tell you something? The true test of love is can I offend you and you still love me? Until that happens, it's nothing more than infatuation. 53 years, you don't think she hasn't offended him? 47, 46 years, you don't think he's offended her? They made decisions day in and day out. I will love you until death do its part. I made a commitment, and even if I don't like you right now, I'm going to love you right now. Because you know what? I'm not going to allow us to break covenant just because we wound one another. You can only wound the person that you're the closest to. When we stand in worship, my wife steps aside, and I'm always like, why do you keep stepping away from me? She says, because you hit me the whole time you're worshiping. And I said, well, if you'd worship, it wouldn't hurt. I, no one has hurt Jamie Lee McCain more than I have because I'm so close to her. It's a part of love is to get hurt. That's a part of it. In this moment, they're mad at Jesus. They're offended at Jesus. And in that moment, he comes walking, and their life is on the line. They're about to die in the midst of the storm. And when they realize he's not our buddy, he's not our little friend, He's the king of glory. And hurricanes and waves and lightning and thunder surrender themselves to him. And we are idiots if we think anything else. And they humble themselves and they say, oh God, we didn't know, we didn't know. And in that moment, the humility of God comes upon them. And they repent. And the brokenness and the hardness of their heart now is softened because they recognize he's the king of glory. Listen to me, if you go to this church, and we haven't offended you yet, keep coming, because we're going to get you eventually. That's just a part of life. The love of most will grow cold. I can't tell you how many people I minister to who quit on God because someone hurt them. 
because they got offended. Welcome to real love. That's what it looks like. That's why you need to take these older couples out and say, how did you do it? Did he ever make you mad? I love her honesty. Yes, I consider divorce. You better believe we did because he hurt my heart. And yes, he thought about it because she hurt his heart. But they're still loving and making a commitment to each other. And they're still sitting next to each other and holding each other's hands. They're still there in the relationship. Friend, listen to me. The love of most, it will grow cold. It's going to happen. The question is, will you be a part of the most or a part of the few? That's the question today. Not will it happen. You're going to see friends that you've known that were so far for God who become atheists. You're going to see people who, who are so sincere in their faith and now they're in a homosexual lifestyle. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because their love has grown cold, either because they had sin in their life, other lovers, that meant more to them than the love of God. Or it's going to be because they got so busy that they lost a relationship, they had no interaction. Or it's going to be because they got offended and now they use that as an excuse. And friend, listen to me. There's going to be that moment. I was standing out in front of a place where I was preaching for the Russians in, in Seattle, Washington. And after this conference, me and all these Russian guys, cool looking dudes, all hip and whatnot, we went over to Applebee's. It was the only thing left open at midnight after we laid hands on everybody. As we walked up to Applebee's, there was these four or five people standing around. They'd all been drinking all night long. As we walked up, we had these Christian t-shirts on from the conference. And the girl standing goes, oh my God, what do you got on your shirt? Ah, Jesus is my God. <laughs> and so, I, just if you know me, I just walked right up in the middle. What do you mean? You don't love Jesus? And this girl next, next to her goes, I don't. I'm mad at God. I can't stand him. And I said, really? Why is that? And she said, well, let me tell you a story. Before I was married, with two kids. I said, you got two kids? Yes. Where are your kids? They're at home with my husband. What are y'all doing out here? This is a bunch of people from work, and we came after work for drinks, and we're having fun. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. When I was 16 years old, I was dating the preacher's son, and we was having sex. And they found out. And who did they kick out of the church? Not him. Me. See, the church is hypocrite, hypocrites, that's what they are. And I looked at her. Someone else might have went, oh, I'm so sorry. No, the Lord loves you. Not me, baby. I've been in this thing too long. And I looked at her and I said, let me ask you something. You're, you're out of your stinking mind. I said, because let me explain something. You're going to die one day. You're going to die and you're going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. And you're going to talk about this church and this elder and the pastor's son. And you're going to say, it's not fair. They kicked me out of church. And he's going to say to you, what does that have to do with you and me? What does that have to do with us? I sought after you. Remember that time when you were 22 years old in a car accident and you lived. Who do you think gave you life? What does that have to do with you and me? And then I looked at her, and she was sober. It was amazing how quick people can sober up when the truth hits. And I said, sweetheart, here's the worst thing about this whole thing. You can be bitter all you want. But the problem with you and what you've done now is there are two little girls who are going to bust hell wide open because their mama is a bitter old soul. That's the problem with this conversation. And she began to shake. Almost like a Tourette state. It was awesome as the demons were like, let us out! She said, pray for me. We laid hands on her. She dropped down on her knees in a little skirt and everything. Repented to God. Asked Jesus to come back into her life. Listen to me. You're going to have your little offenses and your little reasons, and you're going to stand in front of God and say, I didn't do it because this person did that. And he's going to look at you and me and go, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? I'm the king of glory. I'm supposed to be your number one love. Why are you pushing me away because of what somebody else did? How ignorant can we be? But I've heard this excuse a billion times at least. And friend, let me tell you something. The love of most, it's going to grow cold. But not me. Not this church. Not this church. Not Christ Point.
not this group of people. I want you to stand with me all across the room. I've gone way over my time, but it was okay because the Lord's in our, in our midst. I'll do my best to minister to you quickly. I want you to close your eyes with me all across this room. In some environments, I lay hands on everybody. In other environments, I let the Lord do what he's doing right where you're at, and that's this moment right now. I can sense it. Friend, listen to me. Don't let, you love, don't let your love grow cold. Listen, don't go to church because that's what's expected of you. Go be with the body of believers because you love them. Because the love of God abounds in your heart. And every head bowed and every eye closed, we're talking tonight about the love of most growing. I'm giving you a prophetic utterance. I'm warning you from the Lord. I was sent on assignment to warn you tonight. There's persons in this room, literally, your destiny is in the balance. Not because you're good or bad. It's nothing to do with that. It says everything to do with a loving relationship. I've sat in counseling appointments with husbands and wives bent on being divorced, and they could not even tell me why. We just can't do it anymore. What happened? We were just, just so many things. What was so horrible? I, I, we just don't want to do it anymore. Friend, listen to me. Don't be that kind of Christian. I don't know why, but I just I don't feel it anymore. I don't sense it anymore. Yeah, because your love has grown cold. See, either one of three things. You got other lovers in your life that you love. You're so excited about them. You can't wait to talk about them with other people. You love to blog about them. I can tell what you love by just going on your Facebook page. I can point it out in three minutes. I can have a ten-minute conversation with you and know what you really love. I guarantee it. It's not hard because you can't help but express excitement for the things you love. Is Jesus even on the top of that list? Is he even on the list? I'm talking to Christians today. This warning was not for lost people. In his holy scripture, he's talking to the believer. The love of most will grow cold. Those who've loved me, their love will grow cold. They talk about that little illustration you hear it all the time about putting a putting a frog in a pot of water on a stove and then slowly turning the heat up. That frog will never jump out. He'll just accommodate and accommodate. He'll just continue to sit there until the water's boiling and it kills him. Listen, don't just sit in apathy another moment. Don't just sit on that path distant from the Lord. Can't figure out what's wrong. It's one of three reasons. Tonight, as I go through these three reasons, that love grows cold. When I get to the one that God is dealing with you about, you just put your hand up and put it back down, and I'm going to pray. When I go through each and every one of them, you, if it's you, you just say, that's me, Pastor. You throw it up, throw it back down. doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. It just means that you're concerned that you've allowed this to transpire, and you don't want your love to grow cold over it, and it's a moment of repentance. The first area that love grows cold, if this is you, throw your hands up. No one's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. But you've allowed other lovers to take precedence in your life. Yes, you love Jesus, but he's at the end of the list or middle of the list. And you've allowed other lovers to be in your life. If that's you, throw your hand up, throw it back down. Thank you, Jesus, for your honesty. Put it back down. Father, in the name of Jesus. Come on, pray with me, guys, those who lifted their hand. God, have mercy on me for allowing other lovers in my life. Lord, I recognize that it's happened. I didn't know it. It just, I just got so busy, and I just, I, it's just, I, I love that thing, and, and I realize now that the love has grown cold because I've allowed others to steal my attention from you. God, I repent of sin. I repent of loving something more than you. Come on, under your breath, Lord, I repent. I change here and now. The second area that causes love to grow cold is that we've lost the interaction. If that's you, throw your hand up. I've, I've gotten so busy, Pastor. That I'm not interacting with the Lord in the ways that I know that I long for. Put it back down. Father, in Jesus' name, have mercy on us. Lord, let us not be so busy doing good things that we lose the relationship with you. Lord, like that couple, they were so busy acquiring things. They didn't even love each other anymore. Jesus, we repent for being busy about everything but you. God, we want to be professional best friends with Jesus Christ again.
Come on, right now, under your breath, say, Lord, I want to be your best friend again. I want to know you. I want to know what makes you happy. I want to know what makes you sad. I want to know your favorite color. I want to know what wrinkles your brow. I want to know your favorite smell. Jesus, I want to know you deeply and intimately again. And I'm willing to come running into your arms. I'm willing to draw close again. Friend, I'm not talking about a sermon. I'm not talking about a service. I'm talking about day in and day out, driving to work in your car, saying, Jesus, you're my best friend. Teach me how to love you. Teach me how to be best friends with you. Jesus, have your way in each and every one of us. And the last and final piece that is truth that I lined out in this message. His very own disciples, they saw him face to face for three full years. He laid his hands on them. He slept beside them. He he, he ate with them day in and day out. They were mentored by him. And they still got offended. Friend, let me tell you something. This is the greatest trick of the enemy. To offend you. Again, you prove your love. by can we offend you and you'll still love us? Love is proven through offense. Until it is, it's nothing more than infatuation. Oh, you like some Adam McCain. I'm funny and I'm cute. Come live with me for six months. You're like, God, that guy won't shut up. He's always using his hands. He's got a joke for everything. I've heard the same joke. Oh, my God. Some of you have been offended at the Lord. Be honest with yourself. You've been offended at, quote, the church or a representation of the church. Some of you are still, you're still caring and talking about what the last church did to you. You're still talking about the small group that talked bad about you. You're still fussing and fighting over what so-and-so did. And, friend, you are losing your love for Jesus. Because your offense is causing your heart to become hard. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, that's me. Would you lift your hand up quickly and put it back down? God bless you. God bless you for your honesty. Put it up, put it down. Father, right now we repent. We repent of holding on to offenses. Lord, it's so easy to do. But Lord God, it stands in the way of a real loving relationship with you. For you said, how can you expect the Father to forgive you your debts when you don't forgive those who've sinned against you? We know the sermon. We know the sermon on the mount. We know the book of Matthew, God. We know the teaching. Oh, but to live it is something totally different. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we release those who've stabbed us in the back. Those who made commitments and then didn't follow through. Those who said they loved us, but it was not true. Those, oh God, Lord, we forgive you. We release you for an expectation that you wouldn't let this bad thing happen and it happened and then we have this place in our heart. We stand at a distance from you. We know we don't want to go to hell, but at the same time, we're scared to get close to you because you didn't answer our prayer. And Lord, we recognize in this moment, we repent. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we submit to you. You tell the waves to stop. And you command the hurricanes to cease. And you command the lightning to dry up. Who do we think we are that we would stand in judgment of your ways? So we afresh commit ourselves to you. And we say, oh God, we don't know what you know. And so we repent for being demigods. For thinking that we understand your ways when they are higher than our ways. And we resubmit ourselves to you and say, do with us as you will. And we recommit to forgive those who've done us wrong. And we open our heart again and call and ask that the hardness would be softened in this holy moment of repentance. Listen to me, repentance is not bad. Repentance is good. Repentance is Jesus's control-alt-delete. Have you ever had a computer that was locked up and you had the spinning wheel of death? or the hourglass, and you couldn't get anything to work, and you were able to hit Control-Alt-Delete, and it rebooted everything. That's what repentance is. It's beautiful. It's precious. It's not bad. I don't know why somebody told you it was bad. So, Father, tonight we repent. We ask for a do-over. We ask for another chance at it. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you would allow us to learn from these mistakes. And Lord, we pray that our love would never grow cold. Would you reach over and grab the hand of that person?